This is AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. A very good day to you all. Welcome back into the Doctor's Lounge. This is your host, Dr. Hal Schurz. And every week, myself and my co-host, Dr. Michael Carucci, come to you and let you in into the doctor's lounge to listen to the conversations that doctors have among themselves in doctor's lounges all across the country. We try to provide for you the information that you will need so that you can advocate for yourself and fight for your health care freedom. This show is brought to you by the Docs for Patient Care Foundation, which is the only physician-led health care think tank in the country run by practicing physicians. Docs for Patient Care Foundation is devoted to the principles of the doctor-patient relationship and for fighting for healthcare freedom. Please go to our website, d4pcfoundation.org. Look around, familiarize yourself with the issues that we do a very good job of updating on a regular basis. And please contribute generously so that we can continue to bring you great shows like the one you're listening to now and that you listen to every week and can, and can continue to do the other work behind the scenes that we need to do so that we can be there for you. The um, show that I wanted to do today is a little bit different. It's not going to be one topic. I felt like a dog in the park watching squirrels when it comes to healthcare news these days. You can't turn in one direction without looking in the other direction and seeing another healthcare story. It's just that there's so much coming down and so quickly that uh, it's it's really confusing to everyone who is not paying attention and, and there's just a lot going on. So I thought I would uh, take this sh- the opportunity today and just touch on a number of different topics and bounce around and talk about some things that that um, concern me, some things that I'm pleased about, some things that I'm outraged about, and it, I think it'll be a fun show. I wanted to start the show by uh, talking about the GOP healthcare bill, the AC, the A, A um, HCA Part Two, American Healthcare Act. It is back from the dead. Just when everybody was counting it out, just when the pundits on TV, most of which are on the left, were uh, discounting the possibility of health care getting done, it looks like it may actually come to a floor vote on Friday or Saturday. The bill was released yesterday. Um, at midnight from the Rules Committee, and now it's um, going to probably uh, get uh, voted on. And I wanted to go over that just a little bit. You know, the the bill was um, contrived. It was uh, conceived by the uh, leadership in the House. There were people who said that they didn't get any input. You, You don't know who to believe. There, there are multiple sides to this story. At the end of the day, there were constituencies that were holding it up. There was the Freedom Caucus, who are the uh, people who are the uh, far-right 
constituency that that felt that the bill was spending too much money. There was the moderate Tuesday group that come from states with uh, more moderate uh, GOP constituencies, and they were afraid that uh, a bill that went too far to the right would be untenable for their constituency. <clears throat> so there were a lot of different groups that needed to be satisfied with this group. And all the while, the uh, message that we heard was that they had to come out with a bill that would be um, uh, that would that would uh, uh, be able to fit into the constraints of what was possible through the rules of the Senate, so that this bill could get through. Because this would not be a bill that would be passed in a way that a typical bill gets passed, where you get um, a majority vote. Um, it would have required a sixty-vote majority because the Democrats would not sign on to anything that the GOP comes up with. We've seen this happen on every single issue that they're not willing to um, participate in any GOP idea. So this is going to get done through a process called reconciliation, which means that if it is going to uh, get passed, it will get passed um, by a 51-vote majority, but that only can happen for fiscal bills. And so anything that would be non-fiscal, like any kind of issue that doesn't actually pertain to money, couldn't be part of this bill. And the um, and so that meant that you can't just do a full repeal of Obamacare because the, the Democrats would filibuster it and it would never get to the floor. So the House was worried, well, what can we pass that's going to get through instead of just passing something and letting the Senate worry about it? And that was one of the criticisms that many people, including myself, made about what the House was doing. They didn't pass a bill that was visionary, that really um, – that – that uh, explained what the message, what the vision of the GOP was, um, which they really should have done. So they got bogged down with all of this um, process and minutiae, and um, and they've been working behind the scenes. I have to give them credit, and they've been really trying to make that sausage behind the scenes instead of in front of the cameras, which is what the problem was the first time. And so they've come up with a compromise, and the compromise initially was going to be to <clears throat> allow states that wanted to continue to offer the very rich Obamacare goodies to continue to do so and then let states opt out of it. And that way the uh, – um, or I'm sorry, I said this wrong. They wanted to allow the – they wanted to get rid of all of the Obamacare goodies and then let the states that wanted it, like California, like New York, put it back in if they wanted to. And and then when that failed, when their health care exploded, let them explain to their constituents why health care was working in places like Texas or in the Deep South, but not in their state. Well, that was not good enough for um, the moderate group. And so they've come up with a compromise. And this basically keeps um, the uh, essential benefits. It keeps the pre-existing conditions. 
Um, it keeps the Obamacare goodies, but it lets the states opt out from those those uh, rich packages, those Obamacare packages, if they choose to. So it's just the opposite. And um, the provision is that the states had to show that a patient who um, who has a high uh, cost health condition was covered either through a high risk pool or a federal cost sharing program. So the Freedom Caucus seems to be on board with this. Um, even though it will go back on the GOP campaign promise of getting rid of all of the Obamacare goodies. They think that they can live with this. The more moderate Tuesday group is pleased with this because it keeps it and it lets the states opt out. And they come from the moderate states, which probably won't opt out. Um, what's going to happen is that the more conservative states may opt out and they're going to be uh, um, facing some some very angry people, and they'll have to deal with that. But the real problem, and here's my first outrage of the day, the real problem with what's gone on with this GOP bill, this new bill that's going to get voted on, is that the amendment protects members of Congress and their employees from the waivers on pre-existing conditions and essential benefits. So it keeps the most popular parts of Obamacare for members of Congress. So let me just break that down for you. If you are part of one of those um, Freedom Caucus, uh, a Freedom Caucus member, and you come from a very conservative state, and your state opts out of those benefits as a member of Congress or a a uh, employee of of uh, one of those members, you're exempt from that, and you get to keep that. And this is what is so wrong with our country, that the people who are voting for things and and imposing these laws on people in this country are exempting themselves from this, these very laws. And they, they give this reason that just, you know, is, is so, so inane. It's so, it's such, such garbage. They say that because of the Senate rules, again, what I started to say before about what the, you know, the bills need to be because of reconciliation, that the House bill has to retain the protections of Obamacare in order for it to get to the Senate. And so they're putting, keeping it in. And they are having the Senate deal with it once they get the bill, which, of course, they won't do. So this is all just BS. And this is what is so outrageous and so bad about about our system, where our lawmakers can um, feel that they are above the law. And this is, this is really um, something that is just um, outrageous, and I think that uh, um, unless people people hear from you, their constituents, this is going to um, be kept in the bill and pass. And so this is really, really uh, just an outrage as far as I'm concerned. But what else does the bill do? It does good things, I have to say, that it unwinds Obamacare and all of the taxes, including the tax on couples that make more than $250,000 and basically prop up Obamacare. It gives tax credits to people who are buying insurance in the individual market. 
that is based on age, not on income. It ends the Medicaid expansion, which is a very good thing, and it caps the number of Medicaid recipients based on state's population. Now, in a related Obamacare story um, that came out uh, uh, yesterday, uh, the, uh, President Trump is going to continue to give the insurance companies the disputed health care payments. This was a huge bone of contention in the last Congress. If you'll remember, I don't know how many of you will or how many people are paying attention to this, but in order for the Obamacare payments to uh, be low for those participating in the Obamacare plans, and we're only talking about 6 million people, but in order for those people to have the continued low premiums that they are enjoying through the Obamacare exchanges, the insurance companies are being paid under the table a certain amount of money to subsidize those low payments. So all of the taxpayers are are paying money to subsidize the care for 6 million people. And, and that's there, there. I don't have a, a, a tremendous objection to taking care of of people in need, but we're not talking about the people on Medicaid. We're not talking about indigents. We're talking about people, you know, who were in healthcare markets who got dropped. So, so this completely lopsided healthcare insurance uh, scheme has. Uh, uh, been propped up by the government paying insurance companies under the table, and and um, and these these payments are illegal. And I'm going to um, close the circle on this this little story when we get back from our break in the next segment on the Doctors Lounge. Stay with us. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. Whether cruising the strip at a 57 Chevy or taking the family on a vacation in a 71 Oldsmobile Vista Cruiser, you need to tune in to Classic Cars with Steve Ronaldo and Jim Weber every Saturday from 8 to 9 a.m. on AmericasWebRadio.com. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's D-O-C-S, the number four, patientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. Did you miss a show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on AmericasWebRadio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on AmericasWebRadio.com anytime you like. 
This is AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. Welcome back into the Doctor's Lounge. Today we're talking about a veritable healthcare potpourri, a healthcare smorgasbord of topics. And we were um, briefly going through the latest in the GOP healthcare plan, which uh, is back in the news, and also the decision by the Trump administration to continue to pay off insurance companies to keep them engaged in Obamacare. So in the last Congress, uh, Senator Marco Rubio and several other senators challenged the Obama administration, saying that these payments to insurance companies were illegal. They were not authorized in uh, the Affordable Care Act, and they were being made without authorization from Congress. So in 2014, the House Republicans initiated a lawsuit to block them. And the lawsuit is is um, is now in the courts. So this, the court sided with the Republican argument and said that these payments were illegal, but yet they're still being paid. Now, I want somebody to explain to me why, when the court sides with the the Republicans in the House saying that these were illegal payments from the government, from the Obama administration, the payments continue. But when President Trump issues an executive order and the courts, the Ninth Circuit Court, blocks either his immigration policy or his sanctuary city policy, that stops. This double standard is absolutely absurd. The same is true with the double standard about whether or not these payments continue. If these payments didn't continue, the Obamacare health care plans would crumble. The insurance companies would leave the program. And so this is what President Trump promised he would do. He would he would starve this program and let them crumble. Well, the Democrats they they threw a temper tantrum and they said if they if this happens that we're going to shut down the government. Well, if the GOP takes a stand, then they're they're the bad guys. No matter which side of of the power. Um, uh, structure it falls on. If the Democrats are in power and they take a stand, they're they're getting blamed. If they're in power and they take a stand, they're they're getting blamed. And this this double standard has got to stop. And we've got to just stand up to the bullying of the left, and and just um, be able to defend what's right and uh, and what is necessary in these payments to insurance companies who have made more money under Obamacare than they ever made in the history of insurance is wrong and has to stop. And, and uh, if it means that Obamacare is going to crumble and we need to change the insurance market to allow it to open up like it used to be, well, so be it. Let's do it sooner than later. So so that's the latest in the health care news from the House and from the executive branch. So let me um, share with you my last outrage of the day. My last outrage of the day is the news this week 
of the new Surgeon General of the United States. You know, our last Surgeon General was uh, Dr. Vivek Murthy, who was no, uh, who, of whom I was no fan. Dr. Murthy was the founder of Doctors for Obama, which later became Doctors for America. He and his wife co-founded this uh, organization. Dr. Murthy was rewarded with the political appointment of Surgeon General. Um, He took very um, uh, critical health care stands, like um, saying, compelling doctors as part of their evaluation of patients to ask if there are any guns in the house. And this is, this is you know, the kind of, uh, uh, you know, um, uh, policies that uh, the left feel are important health care policies. Well, it was, uh, as far as I'm concerned, we could not see Dr. Murthy's exit from the uh, Surgeon General's office fast enough. But, and, and so he was replaced temporarily with an acting Surgeon General, Surgeon General now is Rear Admiral Sylvia Trent Adams. And I have nothing against a woman being um, Surgeon General. I have nothing against an African-American being Surgeon General. Let me tell you what I have about um, Sylvia Trent Adams being named Acting Surgeon General. She's not a doctor. She's not a surgeon. She's not a doctor. She's a nurse. Now, you talk about about a diss. You talk about a slap in the face to the term Surgeon General. And I know that this is symbolic. And I know that this is, you know, really not that important in the scheme of things. But you talk, this to me, and I don't, I don't like to be outraged. I, I really am not part of the, the generation that, that likes to uh, feel that they are always angry about uh, something, that they're offended about everything. But this really is offensive. This is trying to create a sense of equivalency between anybody who delivers health care, whether they're a doctor or a nurse. It doesn't matter. Well, I've got news for you. It does matter. It does matter. I want to know if you will let a nurse or a bureaucrat or anybody else operate on you or your loved one. And that's what a surgeon is. And so a surgeon general needs to be a doctor. I'm sorry, that may be, that may be so pedantic of me. It may be so, so narrow-minded of me, but that's just the way that I and most doctors that I talk to feel. If you want to put somebody in this role who's not a doctor, then just change the title. Don't call them the Surgeon General. And that's all I have to say about that matter. That was my other outrage of the day. So let's talk about an article that came out today in The Hill by our good friend Dan Rene, Vice President at Levick Associates. Uh, Dan has worked with us for years. He's really cut his teeth on health care working with us, and he is now a contributor to The Hill, and he wrote a piece this morning in this morning's hill um he changed the name from what he and i uh, initially talked about what he calls it is obamacare must be fixed before it collapses 
And I love this article. Not not just because I helped to contribute to it and I and I um and I'm quoted in it, but because he's absolutely right about this. Dan and I had an email conversation several weeks ago about this topic. Um and as regular listeners to this show can attest to, I talk about the fact that doctors need to be deregulated. I've talked about it over and over again since Donald Trump became president and way before that even. And um, Donald Trump is the champion of deregulation. He wants to deregulate um, the business industry. He wants to deregulate the energy industry. He wants to deregulate um, the EPA. Why not deregulate doctors, the, the, the lifeblood of healthcare, and it's clear to anybody who knows anything about healthcare that the costs are so darn high, and that's the only way that actual costs of health insurance and of care that that people are receiving is going to come down. and And the reason for this is plain and simple. It's clear as day. It's because <clears throat> there has been a concerted effort to drive healthcare into the most expensive place in the healthcare delivery system and that's in the hospitals. And so in order to cut costs, in order to make the cost of healthcare less expensive, you've got to deregulate doctors who can compete against the hospitals. You have to open up competition, prices will come down, and how do you do that? You take off the shackles from doctors. And I've written about this. I've talked about it to everyone in government who will listen to me, whether it's in the executive branch or in the legislative branch. And um, we even produced our doctor wish list, which is available on our website, d4pcfoundation.org. Please go to it. You'll see our wish list, which is all about what is possible. And many of the ideas on that wish list are about deregulating doctors. And Dan paraphrases the quote of Albert Einstein, which I love, which is the definition of insanity. It's doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. So he he suggests in his article from The Hill today, Obamacare must be fixed before it collapses, that we do something different. But what? Well, he um, took some of the quotes out of the emails that he and I exchanged and he, uh, one of the quotes that he put in there from me said that the entirety of health care is foc- – the debate is focused on insurance and coverage instead of the elephant in the room, which is the high cost of the care patients receive. Unless the costs are dramatically reduced, no changes in how people purchase insurance is going to result in meaningful improvement in overall health care costs. And he went on to report on uh, what I discussed and shared with him that I could share with him um, off the record. Well, it's on the record now, but what I what I I didn't uh, get into specifics, but I did tell him that I had a meeting with Secretary Price, and I um, specifically um, explained to him that the regulatory burden on doctors is crushing them. It's driving them out of business. It's driving them into the hospitals. It is creating a doctor shortage. It is making it more difficult for patients to see a doctor. 
And if you fix that, it will free them up to spend more time with patients. And um, so Dan, in his article, agrees that it's time to deregulate doctors. And there's no shame in changing strategy as long as you stay true to the core objectives. So the GOP should embrace deregulation. But what he didn't say in his article is the next obvious line, which is that you, the GOP should embrace deregulation, dot, 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 unless they are beholden to special interests. And they are. So more on this when we get back in the doctor's lounge. Stay with us. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's D-O-C-S, the number four, patientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. With all the back and forth in today's politics, it seems as though the Constitution gets lost in the mix. If you want to brush up on your Constitution, then join Michael Conley every Wednesday from 4 to 5 p.m. for the show Our Constitution on AmericasWebRadio.com. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. Did you miss a show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on AmericasWebRadio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on AmericasWebRadio.com anytime you like. This is AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. We're back in the doctor's lounge. We are talking about everything in healthcare today. So I uh, hope that you are enjoying today's show. I want to share with you um, a, uh, a uh, synopsis of a chart which came from the Kaiser Foundation that looked at the uh, percentage of people in this country that are covered by various forms of health insurance. So according to their data, in 2015, which is the last year that they have accumulated data from, 49% of Americans were receiving their health care through employer-based plans. That's 156 million people. It's a lot of people getting care from their employer. Another 20% were getting their care through Medicaid. And um, that, that's about 62 million people. 13 million, 13% or 43 million people were covered through Medicare. Um, and only 7% of Americans are getting their health care in the individual market. And of the 20 
two people getting their health care through the individual market, only six million are getting them through Obamacare exchanges. Um, Nine percent of people in this country, or 29 million according to them, are uninsured for one reason or another. And I think that that needs to be drilled down on. But for the purpose of this line of of uh, discussion, we are spending an awful lot of time and energy and money on a very small percentage of the American population. And I'm, I'm putting I'm saying this to put this into perspective because we're talking about really um, 22 million people. Um, who are in the in the um, uh, in the pool of people who are on the individual market, and um, everybody else is covered through something else. Now, the Medicaid block grants and all the angst about Medicaid—that's another story entirely. But this this obsession, this all the time that we're spending and trying to, you know, trying to thread the needle, trying to figure out how to take care of people, we're talking about a very small percentage of the people in this country. And and why are we bending over backwards like pretzels, trying to do all kinds of of, of crazy uh, contortions to work on this small percentage when it makes so much more sense to figure out a a better way, a pathway for these people to get the care that they want instead of trying to just completely turn the system upside down again for a very small percentage of people and and make everybody suffer for this small percentage. Instead, give these people the opportunities to get the kind of health care that as physicians – we feel that they should be getting as physician policy experts we know that they can get and um and we really uh uh feel that the missing piece in all of this has been the uh, absence of physician leadership the absence of physician input into this discussion and it's it's something that that uh was a problem the first time we had the uh, health care mess put on us in 2008. It's going to be a problem now unless we get the people who actually know what's going on at the ground floor, the boots on the ground. We're going to just – this is Albert Einstein's definition of insanity, doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. So doing something different. Well, there's a lot of things that are out there that are different. The disruptive innovation that we constantly harp on and talk about on this show. And um, there are cracks in the wall, I'm happy to report. So this is the segment of the show with the good news, the attaboys, the the, uh, light that is uh, breaking through the, uh, the wall. And one of the um, beams of light that is broken through the wall came out of Virginia yesterday. It's Governor Terry McAuliffe signed into law 
the direct primary care bill yesterday. And uh, just when you thought that a Democrat governor would never get on board with that, he did. So what happened was that the um, in, in the last uh, uh, session of the General Assembly in 2016, the uh, Senate and the House sent the bill to the governor's desk, and he vetoed it. And he said he was not going to sign the bill until it came up again at the next General Assembly and was passed. Well, 2017 General Assembly passed the bill again, unanimously in the Senate and by a three-to-one margin in the House. And we're talking about a Democrat General Assembly. And so he was forced, he had no choice but to sign into law the direct primary care bill. So this legislation specifies that direct primary care agreements do not constitute insurance, thereby freeing doctors and patients from onerous requirements and regulations under the state insurance code. So that means that the state insurance commissioner cannot limit direct primary care. They cannot tell patients that they have to have the the minimum benefits that an insurance company is is required to offer in an insurance product in the state of Virginia or in any state for that matter. And it allows a patient to go to a direct primary care doctor and to be able to um, enter into an agreement where they pay the doctor a certain amount of money. Most direct primary care doctors are charging between $50 and $80 a month. It usually gives them unlimited access to the doctor and access to all of the services that that doctor can provide in their practice without any additional payment. So this is this is the direction that we are heading in this country. This is the correct pathway. This is what we we need to see happen in 50 states. It could happen at the federal level. This we don't need the Virginia law if at the federal level there could be some clarification between what the HHS recognizes as a uh, let me let me back this up. I want it didn't come out the way I wanted it to. The um, Health and Human Services um, uh, Department views direct primary care as a delivery model, not as a risk bearing entity, not an insurance product. The IRS views direct primary care, however, as a risk bearing entity. So that means that if you have a health savings account, you can't use your health savings account from an, that, that right now are available only through insurance plans because you can't use them from one insurance plan to another insurance plan. And so if this is no longer viewed as a risk-bearing entity by the IRS and they get on the same page as HHS, then people can use their HSAs and pay for direct primary care. And what would even be better is if through 
either executive action or through HHS regulatory, that HSAs were freed from insurance, allowed to stand independently, and through reconciliation, because this would be a fiscal matter, they can allow HSAs to be tax-deductible for people who make a lot of money or give tax credits for those who don't so that everybody can have an HSA and then use that money to pay for their direct primary care doctor or for whatever else that they want in health care. And so this is, this is you know, a positive step. This is a, a crack in the wall. I would like to see this happen at the federal level. It would jumpstart this, this process down what I have termed the healthcare superhighway and opening up that express lane on the healthcare superhighway. So, let me. Let, I want to give um, a uh, a couple of shout outs, a couple of attaboys. One of them is go, goes to um, the president of the Docs for Patient Care Foundation, Dr. Lee Gross. Dr. Gross is. Um, one of the champions of direct primary care, as so many regular listeners to this show know. He lives in Northport, Florida, which is off the I-75 corridor between Sarasota and Fort Myers. And he has worked very, very diligently, very hard in his community hospital on maintenance and certification issues. And again, maintenance and certification we have devoted a number of shows to that issue. It is essentially restraint of trade by insurers and hospitals and the, um, and, and the uh, American Board of Medical Specialties, which have colluded together to um, compel doctors to pay money and spend time to their specialty societies under the American Board of Medical Specialties so that they can continue to, quote, maintain the board certification that they worked so hard to get after residency, and um, which they've done, had for years and years, but now they're compelled to spend the money and take the exams and take away time from their patients and their practices so that they can pass these inane um, exams and continue to maintain that certification. Well, hospitals and insurers, they will not allow doctors to stay on their staff or be on their insurance product if they don't maintain the certification. And so there are uh, there's a, a national effort by many, many doctors to try to fight back against this shakedown of uh, organized medicine against the doctors and make the we're talking about in some cases doctors paying six thousand dollars a year so that they can just maintain that certification for the privilege of being on an insurance plan or being able to participate on a on a, a hospital uh, panel so so we're I'm, I'm involved in in this effort nationally a lot of doctors are trying to fight back and and allow for alternative ways of proving that you're staying current rather than having to pay thousands of dollars to specialty boards to maintain that certification. So 
Dr. Gross worked very hard in his community, and yesterday his board at the hospital officially eliminated the requirement for maintenance of certification in their hospital, allowing other certification, like through the National Board of Physicians and Surgeons, to suffice for privileges. And this is the first HCA hospital in the nation to implement this. And uh, they had to go to national for approval to uh, get this. Um, and uh, and the, the bylaw amendment was ratified last night. So now it's time for all doctors in every HCA hospital around the country to go to their hospital board and follow suit and get their hospital exempted for M- from MOC now that the precedent has been set. So we're going to wrap up the potpourri in the last segment of the Doctor's Lounge. Stay with us. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's D-O-C-S, the number four, patientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. Whether cruising the Strip in a 57 Chevy or taking the family on a vacation in a 71 Oldsmobile Vista Cruiser, you need to tune in to Classic Cars with Steve Ronaldo and Jim Weber every Saturday from 8 to 9 a.m. on AmericasWebRadio.com. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. We're wrapping up today's potpourri in the Doctor's Lounge. Um, I'm your host, Dr. Hal Schurz. We've had um, some interesting topics that have been on deck today. Uh, I want everybody to uh, um, get back into the Doctor's Lounge with me next week when my guest is going to be the president and CEO of the Job Creators Network, Dr. Al, um, Dr. Uh, Mr. Alfredo Ortiz, who um, is uh, doing a splendid job working nationally at uh, helping uh, small and large businesses um, with the regulatory burdens on them. And healthcare is probably the biggest um, single line item on their balance sheet. And the Job Creators Network and the Docs for Patient Care Foundation are working together. Uh, we are uh, going to have them participate at our um, conference in Washington, D.C., June 16th on Certificate of Need, which uh, is a, uh, a huge topic. And um, uh, my guess two weeks after that is going to be our uh, uh, good friend Wayne Oliver, who is the vice president and the medical and the director of um, Patients for Fair Compensation, which is a uh, 
a group that is working at changing the lopsided medical malpractice system. So um, I think that uh, we've got some interesting shows lined up for you in the month of May. So uh, um, please be a regular uh, listener to the show if you are not already. And if you've got friends who are interested in these um, topics, please share our uh our information with them. Um, you can uh, go to www.americaswebradio.com and go to the Doctor's Lounge and download all of our podcasts if you can't listen live. You can follow me on at Dr. Hal Atlanta, and I uh, tweet about these issues all the time. One other shout-out, one attaboy is for another board member, Dr. Ori Hampel, who's been working the MOC angle maintenance and certification angle through the Texas Medical Association trying to get floor amendment from the Texas Medical Association and the state legislature um, on, uh, uh, on protecting the right of doctors not to have to do maintenance and certification. They have a bill in the Texas legislature that was um, very, very poorly written, and they're working on a rewrite. And when we get that final rewrite, I will share it with you. And the last attaboy goes to um, uh, Dr. Betty Price, who is the uh, wife of our secretary of HHS, Tom Price. She was the author and uh, one of the proponents of the MOC bill that passed the Georgia legislature. So in Georgia, we have MOC protection as well, which is basically right-to-practice legislation. So uh, shout-outs for for all those people. These are the cracks in the wall. This is why we need to constantly be at this. This is not a uh, a one-and-done kind of movement, but if we want to reclaim health care, it's going to take all hands on deck, and you're going to have to pay attention, pick your fight, pick your battle, and and see it to, to completion, because if you don't, you'll have nobody else to blame when you wake up and things are not the way that you want them to be. Speaking of that, a couple of things came out, and I'm not going to have a lot of time to go over these uh, these articles. But for those of you who really want to uh, stay current on healthcare, there are a number of resources that you can uh, use. In addition to being on the Docs for Patient Care Foundation website, you can go to other reputable places to get healthcare news. Heartland Institute is one of our partners, and they do a great job. Um, we've had Grace Marie Turner on a number of times from the Galen Institute, and they have the Obamacare Watch. That's a fantastic source. Another another really good source is the Heritage Foundation, and these are all partners with the Docs for Patient Care Foundation. So I'm not saying anything that I have not said before. They all do an excellent job of helping us. We think we do an equally good job of helping them. They do a tremendous, tremendous job of putting together experts in healthcare under the uh, leadership of our good friend, uh, Dr. Bob Moffitt. And uh, they put out their uh, healthcare um, uh, blog, and they've got an in- entire s- section devoted to healthcare issues. They had uh, two interesting articles one of which 
um, was how to address the looming crisis in physician shortage. And I'm not going to have the real the time to go into that article. I'd like people to look at it, but it's a it, there are some problems that I have with this because this is the uh, scope of practice issue, trying to open up health care into any willing participant, which I think is a huge mistake. And I think that this is something that we probably ought to devote an entire show to, and we will. But this is a big problem that we're going to be facing as a society because of critical physician shortages. And the answer is not to just let anybody be a doctor. You know, you can do that on TV, but you cannot do that in real life. And so this this is going to require much more thought than just doing that. But the article that was a um, other uh, notable one on the latest uh, Heritage site had to do with the macro implementation by uh, Dr. John O'Shea. John is a surgeon who works for the Heritage Foundation. He really, really knows his stuff, and he um, was very active in the American College of Surgeons for a very long time. And um, this is, again, we're not going to really have the time to go through this lengthy um, uh, article that he wrote, but basically the the take home message was that there is a change that we are experiencing in healthcare called macra. Macra was a bait and switch, as far as many of us are concerned. It was um, getting the um, sustainable growth rate, the doc fix, as people might recall. Every year they had to um, fix the decrease to Medicare that was um, required by law and they didn't they didn't en- enact it they didn't pass it on that was called the doc fix and every year this was a negotiation it was a game it was kicking the can down the road so getting rid of this this uh, this Medicare uh, um, reduction in in payments, was was something that was needed, it was necessary, it was something that shouldn't have been put in there in the first place. And so they did this under the MACRA law, which is the Medicare Access and Ship Reauthorization Act. And what it really is, it's a, uh, it only 11 pages out of the 260 was devoted to getting rid of the doc fix. The rest of it was figuring out this really elaborate Rube Goldberg scheme, how to pay doctors less and transfer the payments from the traditional fee-for-service model, going to your doctor, paying for what you you get, the service you receive, and instead changing it to a different system, which would be based on value, based on on quality. The problem with doing anything like that is somebody has to measure that. And the only person who can really measure value and quality is each individual patient. The metrics that they put up there that measure these these uh, um, different uh, quality measures are all really contrived. They're nonsense. They don't measure anything. It's just... It's just uh, um, checking boxes and uh, basically saying that you did it, but what it really does it's a it's a it's a practice killer. It is um, making doctors 
have to spend a lot more money in order to comply with this. It's been um, calculated that on average, 785 hours annually is is devoted by each physician staff to implement this, which translates into $40,000 per physician per year. And this is to comply with government nonsense. This is to comply with getting paid for care that the government is is contracting with doctors for. They're making you jump through hoops to get the money that you're entitled to because you've worked for it. This is this is just, you know, nonsense. And I want to give my final shout out in the last 2 minutes in this in this uh blog there are doctors who can, people can comment on. It doesn't have to be doctors. And one of our good friends, somebody that we uh, um, uh, are talking with on a regular basis, Dr. Arvind Cavalli from, uh, from Pennsylvania, gave, I think, one of the best uh, uh, comments on, on this article. And what he commented on was that this is the most sane discussion about the problems with macro that he's seen and that he says that this is a move macro really is a move that takes the risk from medicare away from the government and puts it onto physicians and it also is about decreasing reimbursement to physicians where only 25 percent of participants can expect a positive uptick the other 75% are going to lose. And so what this really is, truth be told, he says, is a backdoor method of implementing that SGR, which was the doc fix, implementing these cuts without elected officials being on the hook to answer their constituents' questions. And it's a huge, untested human experiment that will place thousands of seniors' lives in danger. I couldn't have said it better, Arvind, Kudos to you. Good job. I hope everybody enjoyed our potpourri for today, and uh, we will be back with you next week with our guest, uh, Mr. Uh, Alfredo Ortiz from the Job Creators Network. Thanks for being with us. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you.